0: Uh, good morning, everyone. My name is still Andrew Jow. I'm still one of the ministers at Meeting House Church. Uh, I've led Confirmation the past uh, three years with the help of a lot of wonderful volunteers, uh, including Nicole Smalley, who's uh, still here, uh, and then Haley Larson. Uh, I want to s- especially uh, welcome all the family and friends of our Confirmands this morning, uh, and then all our guests as well. It's a really special day to be here. Uh, it's pretty unique, honestly. This is a church service uh, where we have an electric guitar as well as an organ at the same time. Uh, it's pretty, pretty rare for that to happen. Uh, and then the icing on top is that both of these guys, or both these instruments are played by people who are really talented and high-quality uh, individuals, so good job on being those things. Uh, speaking of talented and quality human beings, I want to talk about me for a little bit. Um, <laughs> it's a good segue, right? Uh, when I was in high school, when I was um, Basically the same, same grade as these conformants. I was a social butterfly, I had a lot of friend groups, different friend groups, and maybe Confirmands, this is true for you. Uh, it might have been my volleyball friends, it might have been band and, and, and choir, uh, AP class, youth group. And one of my most memorable friends uh, was a boy named Matt. Uh, Matt, unfortunately, was teased uh, very often uh, because he had a propensity to cry in class, um, and unfortunately, high school can be unforgiving. Uh, a lot of my classmates would play a game where they would, they would race each other to see who could push his buttons the fastest and make him cry in front of everyone and embarrass him. It was hard. It was, it was mean. It was brutal. It was difficult to watch. And I assure you right now, I was, I was never one of those people. I never tried to make Matt cry in class. However, truth be told, there was something else about Matt's personality that I did think was hilarious that I did mess around with. Um, So it set the foundation, Matt liked girls, he was attracted to girls, and what I observed about his behavior is that if any girl interacted with Matt in any way, he would develop a crush on them. So he could be partners, assigned partners, in class with a girl, he would immediately like her. Uh, He could be seated next to a girl in class, he would tell me about his huge crush on her the next day. A girl could walk by and say, hi Andrew, hi Matt, and immediately, that was the person that had Matt's attention. So I remember sitting at home one day in my dad's office. It was like a den. That's where our, our desktop computer was. And I remember I was done with my homework, and I was just sitting there, I was thinking about this phenomenon of Matt and liking everyone who talked to him. And I was like, how far does this go? Is it, is it really anyone who interacts with Matt? He'll, he'll have a crush on them. So naturally, I decided to create a fake email account. Yes! This is a story about me catfishing someone, and no, I don't know if this disqualifies me from my job, but we'll find out. So I created a fake email account, it was hotprincess with two Ts, 123 at hotmail.com. Hotmail.com gives you uh, uh, an idea of what year this was. I quickly composed a little secret admirer note, and I'll be honest, I was like over the top. I was like, all my creative juices were flowing, I was like, dearest Matt. Uh, I've always noticed you from across the classroom. I get lost in your beautiful blue eyes. I dream of the day I can one day rest in your bulging biceps. Hugs and kisses forever, your secret admirer, and I hit send. Uh, and truth be told, meaning house, a big part of my brain was like, he's going to see through this, right? Like, he's going to read the email, respond, Haha, who is this, leave me alone. But Matt not only responds, but he's in. He's asking me, like, follow-up questions. He's like, what did you say your name was? What class do we have together? So my mind is blown. I was like, all right, my hypothesis was right. Matt's totally in. And also, does Matt think he has bulging biceps? (laughs) Because Matt looked like me in high school. We were like Gumby. But anyways, I respond back to Matt. He responds back to me. I write back. And this goes on for a few days. One day after school, I'm at musical practice. Uh, I was Captain Hook in the school play. Of Peter Pan. and If you ask me nicely, I'll send you some pictures. And Matt's father was the sound tech guy. And so I remember we were done with practice, and Matt's dad comes up to me, and I really thought he was going to say, hey, nice job today, Captain Hook, nice job at practice. But instead, Matt's dad walks up to me. He puts his hands on my shoulders. He looks me dead in the eyes, and he goes, Andrew, who's Hot Princess? <laughs> what? And I'm panicking. I'm like, oh, I have no idea what you're talking about. I got to go. I think that's my mom calling. And I race to my mom's minivan. The whole drive home, I'm, I'm panicking. And when we get home, I rush to my dad's desktop computer. I pull up the, the email account, and I write a panicked email. And I'm like, oh, hey, Matt, I can't ever write to you again. I can't explain why. Goodbye forever. Send. That was it. I was like, this joke is over Matt will never find out. His dad's definitely never going to find out. I'm never going to get in trouble. Everything will be just fine. Fast forward a few years. I'm a senior in high school. I'm getting ready to graduate. And some friends and I were reminiscing. We were reminiscing about all the best pranks we pulled throughout high school. And one of my friends brings up this hot princess prank. And uh, we, were, we were curious. We were curious about my amazing poetry and all my creative like little secret admirer notes. So we pulled up the email account and I'm sitting there and I pull up the inbox and then I see there's a few unread emails from Matt and I click through I'm scanning them real quick and I realized after I sent that last email in my mind it was done. Uh, but Matt had still been writing he was writing emails like hey is everything okay I still want to get to know you like hey it's been a while just checking in probably like four or five of these emails and by the last email I don't know if Matt figured it out himself. I don't know if he heard it through the grapevine that this prank was happening, uh, but his tone was a lot different. He was mad. He was chewing me out, even though he didn't know who it was. Um, Matt was really angry. Meetinghouse, I—I was a terrible friend. Look, I know I said, "Hey, I wasn't—I wasn't one of those kids in my class that made him cry in front of everyone else. I didn't embarrass him in front of my peers." But I think what I did was much worse, right? Because at least those people who made him cry were who they were trying to be, right? They were trying to be jerks to him, and they were jerks to him. I was Matt's friend. I was supposed to be Matt's friend. If you asked Matt today who was Andrew Zhao, I'm sure he'd be like, oh, yeah, way back in the day, high school, that was a good buddy of mine. Andrew's a good guy. But the truth is that I was secretly, emotionally manipulating him. And really all he needed was someone to see him, to be there for him, to recognize that like, yeah, he's feeling lonely. He's feeling rejected. In hindsight, of course he liked anyone who paid any kind of neutral attention to him. Because <laughs> everyone else was being so terrible. Like that's what he was going through. So everyone was being terrible to him, including myself. So conformance. Why am I telling you this story? (laughs) On Confirmation Sunday of all days, I'm telling you this story because I hope it's clear to you after this past year that how you live matters. How you decide to show up every single day is important. So we've spent the last year talking about a lot of different topics. We've talked about Christianity and theology. We've talked about sin and the Bible and Jesus and heaven and hell. And while you weren't always ready to have those conversations, Because let's be honest, a random Sunday morning here and there isn't always the best time to have these really meaningful, deep conversations. Hopefully one takeaway for you is that there's plenty of room within Christianity and the church for you. Within Christianity's different denominations, different perspectives, space for doubt and wrestling, different ways of worship, different experiences of God and nature and people and faith communities. And I think because of that truth, it hasn't been so important to me what you say you believe, rather how you decide to show up every day for yourself, for others. It's the love in your actions that reflect our God of love and have the power to transform people in the world and show what your faith is truly about. I may have used a lot of words to call myself Matt's friend. I might have used a lot of words to get people to like me or think highly of me. but My actions surely did not reflect that. One of my favorite parts of the confirmation journey is uh, not too long before today, and they write their statements of faith. Uh, And confirmands, if you remember, for your statements of faith, what are the two words that I emphasize when you wrote them? Effort Effort and honesty, A plus to Ellen. Let the record show she has an A plus and not just an A. <laughs> so you weren't supposed to write what you thought I wanted you to say. You weren't supposed to write what you thought your parents wanted you to say or whoever. This was meant to be an honest and candid touch point on where you were at. With all your varying degrees of certainty or doubt. And I wanted you to do this because I'm a firm believer believer, that what you actually believe is what actually influences what you guys do, how you live. Wherever you might be at today is legitimate and it's okay. And let's be honest, folks. The faith journey is long. We change our mind along the way. We have different experiences. We have different aha moments, different experiences with God that might shape what it is we believe on any given day. So Meeting House, I want to meet everyone where they're at today. And we are going to talk about this very long verse that Audrey read earlier. Thanks again, Audrey. And though it may not be obvious at a glance, I do think that this verse from Isaiah has some, some meaningful, relevant connection to us today in 2023. And I hope it can offer us a little bit of encouragement. So <laughs> we don't have it in front of us, but like, think back to the Isaiah 6 passage with the three different slides. Uh, And a little backdrop, Isaiah is a prophet. Isaiah is a prophet, and he's talking to uh, Jerusalem. And Jerusalem, they are supposed to be the people of God. But the reality is they have completely rebelled. They've gone against their covenant, which is their promise with God. They've gone against their covenant with each other. They're worshiping idols. They're turning away from God. They're not being lights in the world. They're oppressing the poor. And they're experiencing decay just as people, as as a community, and spiritually. I would say that in a way, it's not too different than the world we live in right now. I think it's pretty easy when you look around, you see hopelessness, you see pain, you see homelessness, food insecurity, poverty, all sorts of polarity, and hate, and isms, systems that might make no sense for all of humanity. And at the same time, we see... People in groups prioritizing wealth and power and dominance and self-gain. And it seems like the God of love, who is always there, who's too beautiful to leave us, that God of love seems less and less present in the lives of people based on the actions that we see. So if we have the similarity to Isaiah's context, what did Isaiah do? How did Isaiah respond? Well, there's this vision of a heavenly court. Isaiah's before God and all these angels. And for starters, Isaiah embraces the grace of God. Uh, He wants to be purified. A seraph, which is like an angel, takes a burning coal and cleanses Isaiah's mouth. And once Isaiah's cleansed, he's very intentional about wanting to help. He says, send me. He says, I want to be the one to go even though the passage says the people of Jerusalem, their minds are going to be dulled, their ears are going to be stopped, and their eyes will be shut. So basically, they're not going to hear what Isaiah's going to say. It doesn't keep Isaiah from still wanting to be sent by God for God and volunteering himself to speak truth to corruption and truth to power. Throughout this whole book of Isaiah, if you're familiar, there's this duo. A dual theme of judgment um, for Jerusalem's injustices and their idolatry. And that's paired with the hope of the inevitable restoration and redemption in God. These two things happen at the same time. And it can be confusing. It can be conflicting. And I think in simpler terms, it's basically terrible things are happening. People aren't living the way that we're supposed to. And as human beings, a part of us really want to see consequences. But we know judgment is not ultimately ours to give or ours to control. So we have both a desire for justice and a hope for a better world. And friends, I think it's in the latter, this hope for a better world, that we can play a role. Uh, In high school youth group recently, we've been talking about self-love, just like the rest of the emerging generations. And a couple weeks ago, we watched a video from the Bible Project. And this video is all about how people are made in God's image. And the, the name of this video is called, We're Supposed to Rule the World, Here's How. It's pretty catchy. And what's outlined is a subversive way of ruling. It's not about dominating or seeking control or power, but ruling in a way that's for the benefit of others. The video goes on to explain that this is God's definition of what is good and it's what God wanted for people. It's our purpose both back then and now. Our first task as humans was to guard in the earth. We are meant to create and build community and take care of each other and take care of creation using everything we've been giving. given by God, our gifts, our passions, our talents, But humans with our free will sometimes we'll do well. Sometimes we'll get it right. We'll create things like rocket ships and symphonies and and pizza. And sometimes we create horrible things like nuclear weapons or war. So how should we live knowing that sometimes we're gonna get it right and sometimes we're gonna screw up? In the midst of a world with brokenness and awfulness and pain, perhaps. It's not our words of what we want to be about. It's not our words of what we say we believe on any given day. And it's especially not the threat of judgment that can transform. But maybe it's our ability to tangibly and actually play a role in healing and restoring everything around us. That is the example Jesus set out in the New Testament. Jesus became fully human with all of our complexity and all of our emotions, all of our creativity and all of our potential. And Jesus consistently and regularly chose actions that benefited other people. He intentionally sought out people in the margins and he embodied love and saw them. He challenged systems that made no sense that were oppressing the people in the margins. You see, God's promise of redemption has always been the North Star hope that we have as people of faith. And I think maybe it's not about us passively waiting for it to happen, but actively living it out in our daily lives. Coffer one of the things a few of you talked about when we had our statement of faith conversations. is you brought up how sometimes it's hard to say you're a Christian, how sometimes it's hard to talk about your faith with your friends and your peers. And that's not uncommon. <laughs> That's pretty normal in our society. Religion, faith, Christianity, sometimes those words can come with baggage. People make assumptions about us before we can explain, before they get more information about who we are and what it means to us. But I got to say, it hasn't swayed you from wanting to lean in. You're saying yes today. You're saying yes to continuing on your faith journey with Meeting House's support. Your faith remains important to you, wherever you might be on your spiritual journey. And all six of you, your spiritual journeys look very different today from one another. And while it might be hard to find words to know how to talk about your faith with maybe your peers, your friends, your family, or even folks in church, it still impacts how you wanna show up in the world. So I'll leave you with this. Confirmands, I hope that even as you look around and maybe Your world mirrors Isaiah's Jerusalem, society, the people around you. For whatever reason, we keep arguing. We as people keep fighting. We keep tearing each other down. We ignore the things that might bring about peace and justice. We keep idolizing our ways of doing things. We keep forgetting that the core of everything we're supposed to be about is love. Even when that's happening, my hope for you confirmands is that you still do what Isaiah did. And even when the rest of us, our minds might be dulled, our ears might be stopped, our eyes might be shut, that you continue having hope for what's possible. And speaking of a God of love, not just with your words, but with your actions each and every day. And my prayer is that someday soon, we all might be transformed by it.